And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everybody. It is Thursday. Whether we like it or not, there's not anything we can do about it. Time marches on. And we are all getting older. Some of us may be getting wiser. Welcome, everybody. We are live from the bunker. I am here in Master Control. Deep beneath World Headquarters. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. And a little bit of uh, sad news with the SpaceX rocket not uh, not going well. Uh, four minutes into flight, it exploded. So hopefully they learned some stuff from the telemetry and they try again. Give a shout-out to everybody who is listening to this program as a podcast. We are available on a number of different platforms. We've got listeners all over the world. Happy to have all of you with us. Do check out the live video from time to time. Because every now and again, we will show you things. We will have video and pictures to uh, to share with you. Don't have anything today, but we do have this news. BuzzFeed is going away. And nothing of value was lost. Uh, this is Hollywood Reporter and the headlines, these are he- these headlines are all over all of the trades. Everything is every it's all breaking news. <coughs> BuzzFeed shutting down Amid or BuzzFeed News shutting down amid major layoffs. Uh, BuzzFeed News is being shuttered with HuffPost remaining as the only news brand for the media company BuzzFeed. CEO Jonah Peretti sent a memo to staff Thursday outlining the shutdown of BuzzFeed News, saying the company can no longer afford to fund the news section as a standalone organization and cutting the workforce by 15% or 180 staffers across its business, content, tech, and admin teams. Additionally, the company's CRO, Edgar Hernandez, and COO, Christian Basler, will both leave the company. BuzzFeed president, Marcella Martin, will take over all revenue functions effective immediately. Well, look, I feel bad for the people who are losing their jobs. I truly do. I, I truly do feel bad for them. And I hope they land on their feet and they find something that is fulfilling and successful, <clears throat> even in the midst of a recession. I hope they do well. But I am not going to miss BuzzFeed News. Because BuzzFeed News gave us. The listicles. They're the ones who just really got into this, you know, five reasons why, top five things, top ten things, 
you know, those those kind of things. And and I think degraded BuzzFeed has done a lot to degrade the quality of discourse online. They have they have not contributed anything really of value in my mind. So I'm not going to miss them. It's a shame about their jobs, sure. But on balance, I think maybe this is a good thing. <coughs> the system corrects itself, right? It's just like the, the stock market. You know, eventually there are corrections. And as the culture maybe, possibly, perhaps realizes just how crazy things have gotten and we kind of migrate and shift back towards center, maybe maybe there's some correction going on with uh, with the online stuff too because <clears throat> excuse me the uh, I think the regular everyday John Q public is realizing just how terrible, a lot of these online companies have gotten. So, you know, it's we're going to take our money elsewhere. We're going to take our attention elsewhere. We're going to we're going to take our our patronage to other places. <coughs> and uh, it, it could be a get woke go broke thing. Um, certainly BuzzFeed has been part of that. But I think there's a there's a broader thing here with People get tired of the sensationalism and the yellow journalism and the bias and the the very clear intent to do harm that some of these uh, some of these bad actors are engaged in. So uh, I feel bad for the employees. I will not miss the site. And somebody at some point will probably say that of our site. You never know. Who knows? All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with an unboxing because we got a box. I got a box. I got a box here. Box. It's not a very big box. I don't know what's in it. Actually, it is from Warner Home Media, Warner Home Video, which is ironic given that Warner is the one who struck our channel over on YouTube. By the way, we still can't stream to YouTube. All right, so I'm going to take this knife that my great that my grandfather made while he was in the South Pacific. Oh, huh! Look at that! I didn't know they did that. That's how he put that together. Oh, interesting. So the handle. All right, so I'm not I'm not going to get too too deep in the weeds here, but the handle in this, my, my grandfather made this knife. He was in the Navy. He was a constructive battalion, 100, 101st Seabees. And he made this knife. And the handle is a bunch of clear acrylic plastic, and inside is a photograph of my grandmother and my dad. This thing unscrews. I did not know this. That's that's how he got. That's how he put the whole thing. I was wondering how he did that. My grandfather was a genius. All right, now I got to put it back together because somehow Palpatine returned. All right, here we go. 
box. Open the box. I have no idea what's in this box. Usually I can predict because, you know, we get media coverage and whatnot of the different things that are coming. I don't know what this is because I haven't seen anything beyond the doom that came to Gotham. We already got that one. All right, open the box. There's paper in the box. For those of you listening as a podcast, see, this is what I'm talking about. You're listening to this as a podcast. You don't get to see any of the brilliant acting out visual aid that I'm doing here. Um, It is... Oh! What? What is this? What is this? There's bubble wrap for Mrs. Boss. I'm just saying. Bubble wrap. It is a 4K Ultra HD edition of All-Star Superman, the animated adaptation. So something we cannot watch. Um, something we cannot watch because we don't have a 4K Ultra HD player. But I thought we already had this. This must be a new a new edition. It's got the Warner, Warner Brothers 100 sticker on it. This must be a, a new Hi. thing. We're not going to let you live stream. Yeah, well... And we're not going to let you watch it because we don't have the thing for it. Well, they don't know we don't have a player. I'm being a smarty. Yes, you're being a smarty. All right. <coughs> okay, so, there's that. I want to... I want to... I want to... Touch base. Uh, hi, D- uh, Death Angel Shadow over there in, in, uh, in Odyssey. I want to tell a story. Before we set up, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna set up the topic here with a story. A few years ago, Mrs. Boss and I went and saw the Eagles live in concert, and uh, this is after. This is after Glenn Fry had passed away. So we saw the Eagles, but it was the Eagles with Glenn Fry's son, Deacon, in Glenn Fry's place. And it was an excellent show. All the hits, all the greatest hits. <coughs> and when you think about it, if you go, if those of you who are of an age, if you go to these, you know, Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, the Doobie Brothers, Santana, um, all all of these, uh, all of these guys that have been around forever, Billy Joel, Elton John, uh, their concerts play like a greatest hits album. Because they've accumulated so much, and they've 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 released so much material over the course of their careers. The time, I mean, Rolling Stones and Van Halen, AC/DC, all of these uh, groups that are still touring. Leonard Skinner. Even if you don't have all of the original members of the band, <coughs> there's still the legacy of the band. And I have a number of these things. I have the Eagles' greatest hits here. I have <laughs> Joe Walsh's "I Ham." You know, I 
one of the greatest pieces of media that you will ever find is when Joe Walsh guest starred on the Drew Carey show. And the scene where he first meets Mimi is phenomenally funny because, you know, Joe Walsh and and the history there that Joe Walsh has has kind of fed into that character he's playing. And (laughs) when, when Drew Carey talks to Mimi, Joe says, oh, good, you see her too. <laughs> Thinking that it's a that it's a a, a a withdrawal hallucination. It was it was very funny, but yeah, you know, we ha- I have I have a number of of record albums. You know, the Eagles. I've got the Boston Pops Goes West, which is a compilation of a number of really popular Western songs. I have John Williams and the Boston Pops out of this world, playing a number of science fiction musical themes. I have. Ray Charles' greatest hits. We have here um, Simon and Garfunkel's greatest hits. Now, some of this stuff I have because I worked in radio and we cleared the library and I took a bunch of stuff home. And I have even in the library (coughs) Barry Manilow's greatest hits, volume three, volume two, whatever. All right. All that to say, there are there are reasons why there are greatest hits compilations in music. It's because the greatest hits are their successes, the the most popular, the most recognizable, the best selling, the stuff we like. Certain albums from bands certainly will will do great. Hotel California from from the Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, Rumors, you know all all of these different things. But the greatest hits, the greatest hits are the ones that we keep going back to, because those are the those are the ones we like. There there's a reason why they're the greatest hits is because they're the most popular, they're the most successful, they're the best of the best. And depending on how long a career these bands have, you have volume one, volume two, volume three, because there continues to be hits from these bands. And if you look at Star Trek Picard season three, it is, in a sense, a greatest hits album. for Not just for the next generation, but for Star Trek in general. And for all of the criticism, and for all of the falderall and the online drama and the back and forth and the neener neener and the name calling and all this other stuff, is Picard season three great? No. Is it good? Objectively good? I don't know. Objectively, it does pretty much what it's supposed to do in terms of a narrative through line. There are a couple of things that uh, I have to sit there and go, hang on, why this? 
but for the most part, it hangs together pretty well. Terry Metalis has delivered a greatest hits album for Star Trek. And like I said, not just the next generation, but for Star Trek in general, going all the way back at least as far as Star Trek The Motion Picture. Because there are pieces of all of the Star Treks that have come before that are in Season 3 of Picard. And they're done in a way that is mostly organic to the story. They're not shoehorned in. They fit where they fit, and they're they're in place, and it works. Now, I do have one question with regard to the changelings, but I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for a while, because there are people still haven't seen the last episode of the show. And I'm not going to get into spoilers here. <coughs> because I want you, if, if you are a fan of Star Trek, and I mean a legacy fan, not a, not a new fan, not a new blue-haired fan, but a legacy fan. If you have been around the block a few times and you understand Star Trek, I think, for the most part... Terry Metalis sticks the landing, which is something that J.J. Abrams has never been able to do. And Metalis delivers it. It's it. I don't want to say it's a love letter to the next generation. It kind of is. It tells a good story. It's not just a bunch of member berries all the way through the whole ten episodes. There are member berries. That's that. There's no question about that. But it's done in a way that works within the confines and the logic of the story that's being told. And I and I admire Metallus fitting all of this stuff in, without it being so blatant. Hey, you remember the thing? Here's the thing you remember. He didn't do any of that. Now there's. There's one piece of this story, and, and people have seen the photographs from last episode, from last week. So, yes, Enterprise D. So that's a huge member berry right there. But you kind of can't can't avoid it. I mean, they're they're right there in the in the on the set, and I have to give props to to Dave Blass and the production design the the, the production design team. They built. They rebuilt the bridge of the Enterprise D, and it is letter perfect. I I can I can tell you. Even there's there's even one of the one of the set directors uh, set decorators even said that what they did they they recreated the bridge down to the very placement of the knots in the wood for the for the horseshoe that comes around the the consoles. So where Worf stands, you know, the tactical position there right behind the, the command center, you have that, that wooden horseshoe kind of thing, that rail that comes around. They said they even went back and recreated where the knots in the wood were, so it would be a perfect match. That attention to detail is meaningful to a lot of fans. 
Because we sit there and say, these people get it. These people understand just how important it is to get this right. Even though we may never see that said again. I mean, Blast says it's been, it's been taken, it was dismantled a year ago. So we may never see it again. Or it might end up someplace else, you know, reassembled somewhere for an experience. It is not going to Ticonderoga, New York, by the way. Uh, James Cauley has, is building his own. <coughs> so it's what they built for Picard is not going to the official CBS Star Trek tour. So I don't know where it's going to go, if it's going to go anywhere. But uh, what's in New York? Uh, yeah, the, the official, the, the sets that they used for Star Trek Phase Two, Star Trek New Voyages, the James Cauley had, the fan films. He has meticulously recreated the original series sets in the same layout as they were in the studios at Desilu back in the 60s. All the position, everything, everything is laid out exactly the same as it was at Desilu in 64. <coughs> and his attention to detail in recreating these sets is phenomenal. And I really, really, really would like to get up there to see this thing in person. The amount of work that he's done has is just impressive. And he pivoted after the after the Axonard debacle, he pivoted and took those sets that he had been using for fan films and basically said, Hey, CBS, give me the license and this can be the official tour. Since it's laid out exactly as it was when the show was in production. So you now have the official CBS licensed Star Trek set tour, and he's built. He's in the middle of building a next generation set. They've expanded the facilities. Uh, his his original series sets are still there, but he's building a next generation set now. The one they built for Picard is not that. It's not going there. <coughs> But the, the amount of attention to the greatest hits, it, you, can, you can get lost in the fan service if you focus too much on the fan service. But the fan service needs to be there to a certain extent because of how much damage has been done by Alex Kurtzman and his crew. Terry Metalis has, has come in and said, it can be good with the right people in charge. And if we get Star Trek Legacy with Terry Metalis and the new crew and whatnot, then I would expect fewer member berries in, in a new series. But this is the next generation's swan song. This is Picard's. This is the next generation season eight. This is the the last movie that they never got. All of these things, uh, you know, wrapped up into this this one last hurrah, and it's done so well, and it's done in a way that both gives us a send off for the original cast, 
and sets up a new cast so that if we get a new series, we already are we're we're already invested in these new characters to a certain extent. And when you get the announcement of Section 31, when you get the announcement of Starfleet Academy, and I, honestly, I don't know that Starfleet Academy is actually going to happen. Because of, I'm looking at who's listed as being involved in Starfleet Academy, and it's a bunch of people who have absolutely no experience whatsoever at anything much less science fiction. I don't know what's going to happen with that one. And Section 31, originally conceived as a series, and then a limited series, and now just a TV movie, that tells me that there's a commitment that had to be burned up. That tells me that CBS Paramount said, okay, you can have your show because now you've got an Oscar-winning actress as the lead but she's an Oscar winning actress for a reason she's going to be very 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 busy and we don't want to put a bunch of money into something that's going to be crap that nobody's going to watch so we'll just give you enough to do a movie and you can be done and that burns up that commitment that has been percolating out there for what four years so maybe CBS and Paramount feel obligated they sit there going, oh okay <clears throat> and yes, the success of Picard Season 3 does mean that you get more other Star Trek from Alex Kurtzman. And for all of the everybody that can sit there and go, Doomcock was right. I, look, Kurtzman's there till 2026, regardless of how well Picard does. How, regardless of how well Section 31 does. Regardless of the fifth season or the third season of Strange New Worlds or the fourth season of Lower Decks. Doesn't matter. He's there till 2026, one way or the other. Doesn't matter. The success of Picard season three is just one thing in a mix of things. But it does give us the opportunity to write our letters and send our emails and chatter online and say we like Terry Metalis's version of Star Trek more than we like Alex Kurtzman's Star Trek. Please give us more with Terry Metalis. Give us Star Trek Legacy. Now, the fact that we haven't had an announcement yet, I don't take that as a bad sign. And I will explain what I mean by that after this. Performing the Picard Maneuver with our eyes closed. This is sci-fi for me. Hi, this is Timothy Harvey. And I'm Leslie Walker. And we'd like to invite you to come along with us on a journey into night. Fear, despair, gloom, and doom. Body horror, night terrors. Haunted houses, demon possessions. Witches, warlocks, ghosts, and goblins. Politicians, corporate CEOs. <laughs> Wait, no, that's not the show. Never mind. An exploration of horror from around the world awaits you. Join us for Foreign Bodies, Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV.
as you can see, just from a small sampling of my shelves there, you can see I am a Star Trek fan. I am a committed Star Trek fan. You can see even behind me. Up here, behind me to the right, I have my ships hanging. I need to get my Romulan Warbird up in the air. But I haven't done that yet. I have a runabout that I need to finish building. I have a Voyager that I've never built. It's still in the box. Cam says, if I never heard the Eagles again, I'd count myself blessed. I, you know, it is an experience to see these guys in concert live. I mean, there's, there's something about seeing, and it's not just, not just them. I mean, if you're a, if you're a fan of, say, Justin Timberlake or Taylor Swift or Miley Cyrus or whoever else, I mean, the experience of seeing these people perform in concert. It is, uh, it is something that you take away from, from it and, and like, well, yeah, this was kind of cool. And I tell you, the most impressive performance that I've seen in I don't know when is Carlos Santana. <clears throat> because Santana and the Doobie Brothers performed together. They toured together a while back. And Santana, even at his advanced age, just kept going. And... Hardly, I mean, they they went from one cut to the next 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 cut. And I don't know, I don't know, he ever, maybe he took a pause twice. It was an impressive show. Very impressive show. <clears throat> Picard Season 3 is an impressive show. To a point. I'm not going to gush and, and just be, you know, overly, overly, you know, positive about it. It's got its drawbacks. <coughs> but I do think that it's got potential and it does very, very, very solidly set up Star Trek Legacy, which hasn't been announced yet. And I think I think that we're going to get an announcement, if we get an announcement for Star Trek Legacy, if we get that show, I don't expect an announcement for that until after the weekend. Maybe tomorrow, maybe Friday, maybe going into the weekend it gets announced, but maybe next week, because, probably next week, <clears throat> because what I think they may do, and if it were me, strategizing this. This is what I would do. Because Picard finally has broken into the top 10 of the Nielsen streaming ratings. For the first time. Any Star Trek. and It has performed really well, numbers-wise. So what I would do, if it were me, and it's, it's not me, Paramount, if you end up doing this, send the check too. But if it were me, I would sit there and say, okay, Let's see what the numbers are, and let's take the successful performance of the show, and when we announce, hey, Picard Season 3 was a hit, here's all this stuff, here's all this great stuff about it, the finale was this, 
We had this many watch minutes and this many people watching. It's all great and wonderful. And, oh, by the way, here's Star Trek Legacy. I expect that we will get an announcement after there has been time to measure performance of the finale over the weekend. <coughs> and this is just a guess on my part. This is what I would do. After they can measure the, they take a look at the numbers, they take a look at the watch time, they see how many times people have been have been watching it, they look at all of the social media chatter. I will say probably next week we may get a Star Trek Legacy announcement. Maybe. That's a guess. But I, I think it's a reasonable guess. I think it's an educated guess based on, one, my experience in media, two, uh, past performance of various different networks and whatnot doing announcements and making, making, things, making things more difficult for us out here trying to guess what's going to happen next. But it, and I don't have any sources. I don't have any people telling me anything. I would really like to have sources. I would I would love to have somebody on the inside telling me things, but I don't have anybody on the inside telling me things. And we're not a big enough channel to justify somebody going in and say, "Hey, I got I got the goods. You want them?" I do. I want them. But nobody's going to be looking at us cuz we're not big enough yet. <coughs> And if we ever get that big, then then we'll we'll revisit that. But that's what I think is going to happen. I think next week, maybe next week, we may get a Star Trek Legacy announcement uh, from from Paramount and CBS. The problem with it, the challenge that they're going to come up with, the, the 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 challenge they have to face, is the fact that <laughs> you have basically you have to acknowledge. That Terry Metalis has saved Star Trek, and I and I use that word that loosely saved Star Trek, quote unquote. Um, he hasn't saved Star Trek. He's revitalized a lot of fandom's interest in Star Trek, but this announcement for Section Thirty One has not been met with resounding positivity. I mean, as much as we can admire. Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh in her performance in pretty much anything. I mean, you could watch her read a phone book and, and it would be fine. But nobody's been asking for Section 31. Nobody's interested in Section 31. I, There are people like me, fans like me, people who have been around forever, who never liked Section 31. Section 31 was a bad idea was in, when it was introduced in DS9. I've never liked Section 31. It does not fit Star Trek. It fits Mission Impossible. It fits Babylon 5, maybe. It fits uh, Battlestar Galactica. But it doesn't fit Star Trek. That's not the universe that that Roddenberry gave us that, that it doesn't fit. And I think it's very telling that the network has only committed to a two-hour movie instead of a ten-episode series or a six-episode series or a limited series or whatever. They're not going to do five years of Section 31. They're not going to do a season of Section 31. They're not going to do six episodes of Section 31. You get two hours or an hour and a half. 
You're going to get a movie, and that's it. We're done. We burn up that commitment. We burn up that obligation, and then we move on. Starfleet Academy might be a different bag of tricks because, one, Starfleet Academy has been an idea since the 80s. Harv Bennett had an idea for Starfleet Academy. This is not anything new. So... To sit there and say, well, Kurtzman's got a terrible idea. It's always been a bad idea. And the idea itself doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a bad show. It's the execution of the idea. And history shows that Alex Kurtzman cannot deliver the goods. He didn't deliver the goods with Discovery. People hate Discovery. Not everybody. There are people who like it. There are people who enjoy it. There are people who tolerate it. There are people who actively hate it. Clarice was a failure. The man who fell to earth was a failure. Anything that Kurtzman touches is at best a mixed bag performance-wise. Kurtzman cannot deliver the goods. He can't get it over the finish line with a degree of success that inspires confidence. J.J. Abrams is the same way. J.J. Abrams cannot stick the landing to save his life. He can get a good idea, he can get it up and running, he can go with the ball, but he just always falls short. And Kurtzman is not going to be able to give us a Starfleet Academy, especially given who's involved in this show. A bunch of newbies, a bunch of people who have no experience, except for one person who's got experience on a number of different shows that all got canceled after the first season. You're not setting this thing up for success. And I have to wonder just how serious and committed they are to making Starfleet Academy. They've announced it, and there's people involved, but these people are are not anyone that I would expect to get put onto a show that's part of their flagship franchise over there at Paramount. These are, these are people who have absolutely no experience except to fail. So... I, I mean, Terry Metalis at least has a track record, a successful track record, not just with Picard, but with 12 Monkeys. He's got a history with the franchise going all the way back to Voyager and Deep Space Nine. I mean, he's, he's been with Star Trek over the years. He, he understands the thing. Kurtzman does not. Kurtzman's a hack. And I say that as a fan of the franchise, but I say that also objectively as somebody who has written written screenplays, somebody who has written prose fiction, and I might again, Kurtzman does not know what makes something go. He doesn't he doesn't understand how to how to deliver the goods. He can't. And I wonder if Starfleet Academy is actually going to happen. It's in development. It's, it's, um, it's on the books. But like we've seen with Star Wars, the fact that it's been announced doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be finished. It doesn't mean that we're actually going to see it. So I, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm taking a wait-and-see attitude. <coughs> I think... Given how 
given how Picard ended, I will fully expect, I will not be surprised if we don't, I, I, we need to, we will probably get a legacy announcement next week. Maybe. I'm going to hedge my bets, but I think next week, after, after they can look at the numbers and they see how well or how badly Picard did in the finale, they're going to actually have some measurement there. And they can sit there and they go, okay, Discovery did this. Lower Decks has done this. Picard's done this. Okay, let's do more of this. Maybe. Hey, Terry, are you free? I think Terry Metellus would be would be ready to go. He's probably already got some stuff written. Now, the other complicating factor in this is the writer's strike. Because we're going to get a writer's strike, we might get an actor's strike. Because SAG-AFTRA is also in negotiations with some thing, with some produ- with the producers, and then the producers guild is also trying to get some stuff negotiated. So this could all be rendered academic in a few weeks if all of the unions decide to not work. Then you can announce however many projects you want to announce till the cows come home, and nothing's going to get done because everybody's on strike. <laughs> I don't know. Cam says, I have zero faith they'll be evaluating any of this. Uh, you know, it. they have to. They have to. At some point, somebody has got to sit there and go, well, you know, the numbers are great. Because they use this stuff to promote the shows. They use this. I mean, they manipulate the numbers. Sure. I mean, look at how Disney and Lucasfilm have done with, you know, there's a reason why they drop more than one episode in a week sometimes because they want to fudge the watch numbers. Well, the watch numbers are so high. Well, yeah, it's because you, you release two episodes. We watch twice as much as we normally would because there's, there's twice as much stuff to watch. There, there is value to these measurement numbers. And the networks do understand that. This goes all the way back, way back to Neil, when, you know, when, when ratings were first a thing. <clears throat> networks have always used ratings. Network affiliates use ratings. Uh, local TV stations live or die by ratings because that's how they can set their prices for advertising. And streaming is a little bit different beast because they don't have advertising, but... Now that streaming services have instigated ad-supported tiers, advertising now is a thing again. And if advertising is a thing, then ad agencies are going to need some kind of material, some kind of a kind of kind of a data point, some kind of a chart that sits there and says, "Okay, this show is doing well in streaming. We'll advertise here." This show not doing so well, we won't advertise there. The ad, the ad agencies have to have some way of knowing where they spend their money in terms of the overall performance of all of these programs and these streaming services and whatnot. So it's kind of back back to the old way of doing things where the ratings determine, you know, the ad agencies sit there and go, well, you know, uh, this, this show... 
This show did, uh, you know, 100,000 households. This show over here is 400,000 households. And the TV station sits there and goes, yeah, this one's going to cost you three times as much to advertise to those 400,000 households. That's how you decide, That's how you determine ad rates. So they got to be measuring it, and they've got to be evaluating what they see. They have to be making decisions based on that. Now, that's not to say they'll make good decisions, because we know that Hollywood learns the wrong lessons a lot of the time. But <laughs> if the ratings are significantly high enough and demonstrably prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Picard Season 3 is a successful program more so than any of the other Star Treks, then CBS and Paramount would be wise to sit there and go, well, you know, they liked this one. We should probably give them more. And I would expect that decision has already been made. But now that the finale is live and available for people to see, we get through the weekend to let other people in other territories, the UK, overseas, Europe, and whatnot, to see the show. And we pull all of those numbers together. I expect a Star Trek Legacy announcement next week. Maybe. I, I'll, I, I will continue to fudge it. I'll say maybe. But it, it doesn't surprise me we haven't gotten a, an announcement yet. Because it would kind of be a spoiler for the finale. Agreed. And we don't want to spoil the finale. We don't want people to say, oh, well, legacy's happening, so somebody lives. <coughs> you know, we have, we, we, they, can't, they can't do that yet. Because it kind of, it kind of takes the, kind of takes the gas out of the tank for, for the finale of Picard. And so I think, Next week, at the earliest, next week, we'll get an announcement for Star Trek Legacy. And they will sit there and they'll say, hey, the numbers are great. People really, really responded to this, so we're going to do more. Now, the other thing to remember is that you're going to see Alex Kurtzman's name attached to Star Trek Legacy because Secret Hideout has the contract for the franchise. That does not necessarily mean that Alex Kurtzman would be involved in Star Trek Legacy because he wasn't involved in Picard Season 3, according to reports. <clears throat> so if they give Terry Metalis another show and he's the showrunner, it's his show. It's not necessarily Alex Kurtzman's show or Akiva Goldsman's show or anybody else. If he's the showrunner, it's his show. So keep that in mind. Even if you see Alex Kurtzman's name attached to it, his name's going to be attached to it whether whether he's involved or not because he helped develop the series to start with. And some of the characters that are now in Picard that may carry over into Legacy, those count as, as same. I mean, Kurtzman's going to get a credit whether he's involved or not because it's his company making the show. So you just you just keep that in mind when you look at stuff like Strange New Worlds or Lower Decks or wherever, because the executive producer is not necessarily a hands-on somebody down in the trenches making the thing. And that's kind of a double-edged sword because he doesn't 
do anything, but he can take credit for doing the thing because it's his company doing it. So anyway, all right. Uh, Cam says Diablo Four news stream coming up at one p.m. I guess one p.m. Central. All right. So those of you who are interested in that, uh, I don't even know where that would be. Was that is that Sony? What's Diablo? Who who makes Diablo Four? Is that is that EA? I don't know who makes Diablo Four. Is that the Sony? Is that the State of Play thing that's coming up? I don't know. I don't, I, Blizzard. Oh, okay. Blizzard's doing that over on Twitch. So anybody that's interested in that, uh, Blizzard is doing their presentation here shortly. So, all right. So, uh, so anyway, yeah. I I enjoyed Picard season three. I think if we get Star Trek Legacy under Terry Metalis, it will be a good show. I think fans will enjoy it. We need more lights in the sets. We need more lights in the sets. More than four? More than four. More than four. All right, that's it for today. Tomorrow, open line Friday here. Um, and yes, we will still do the call-in, and we will still uh, have something to do, even though we're not streaming to YouTube Tonight, we'll be discussing the end of Season 3 of The Mandalorian over on the Ranker Pit, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Uh, I got to confirm, but I think Michelle from Force of Light Entertainment will be here with us. And then on Saturday, Good Morning Multiverse at 11 a.m. Eastern with the week's headlines. So join us for all of that. And uh, at any time during the day or night in the week, you can connect with us on various social media platforms. Join us over on the Discord server. Continue the conversation over there. And we will be back to do all of this tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. <sighs> and one of these days, one of these days, everything will go according to plan. I just got to figure out whose plan we're following. All right, that's it. Remember, the government hates you. The media lies to you. God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 